Good morning, everyone. You're listening to Caregiver Crossing, a podcast brought to you by Joy's House. We are so happy that you're here. Caregiver Crossing is a podcast created for you, the caregiver. I'm Tina McIntosh. And I am her friend, Terry Lynn Stacy from Hancock County. And we're, we're here every week with experts across the country. And we try to provide you some comfort and resources and, of course, joy to all of you, our friends, our caregivers. This podcast serves to really embrace family caregivers of today and tomorrow. Thank you all for being here so much. We're going to jump right in, Tina. Yeah, we are. We're really, really lucky today. First of all, Terry and I are in a mood, so this could really go. <laughs> um, we are. I'm glad we don't have any blooper reels on this podcast. We could really be in trouble. Um, Kelly, our producer, I'm talking to you. No blooper reel. Um, but we with Grace Whiting. Grace is the president and CEO for the National Alliance for Caregiving. And I have to tell you, she, at the age of 32 in 2018, she followed in the footsteps of the NAC founder, Gail Gibson Hunt, to lead one of the nation's leading public policy and advocacy organizations for family caregivers. It's just what a huge, huge thing that she is leading. Yeah, absolutely. In fact, in just a couple of years, she has, Grace, has doubled the budget of the organization and she's created the Hunt Research Program. She's led several original National Alliance for Caregiver Caregiving Research, as well as the nation's first national policy study of 14, in fact, over 1,400 rare disease caregivers with global genes. Grace, we're so happy to have you here. We really are. Tina, oh my gosh. You lead off the yes. questioning. Well, I mean, <laughs> Grace, you're leading the National Alliance for Caregiving. You know, when you hear that, it it feels big because it is. Can you tell us a little bit about the important work that you're doing? Absolutely. I, I think you're right. It is big. I mean, we do a study with AARP roughly every <laughs> five years, and we just had the latest version come out in May. And we know there's roughly 53 million Americans who are caring for somebody with a disability or with a health care need. So it is it is a big um, responsibility. And I'm very honored to get to do the work that we do. You know, I would say we're sort of the research nerds and the advocacy nerds. So, you know, we focus our work on really building partnerships with the idea that those partnerships can make life better for family caregivers. I was just going to say, Terry and I are all too familiar with the AARP report card yeah. that comes out because Indiana does not do well ever. I mean, Grace, we have got to do better in the state and be a part of the solutions in the nation. But uh, we'll talk about that offline because there are some big things that we're doing here. And, and um, I think you'll want to be aware of them. But Terry, you had something you were... Well, I'm just curious, family, you know, and Tina and I have talked about caregivers for a lot of years and what the caregiver looks like. Who is the caregiver? It used to be that a caregiver was maybe a 40-year-old female, but we've learned over time that a lot of males take that role, although perhaps maybe not as vocal about it. Um, So tell us about the face of a family caregiver. Who are they now? Well, you're exactly right in that it's no one size fits all. You know, we, I think in general, when you look at the aggregated data, it's still typically a woman, a, a woman who's caring for an older relative and usually in her late 40s, early 50s. But one thing that is exciting is that you've got every generation from Gen Z all the way to the greatest generation is taking on caregiving. You've got about 
60% women, but 40% who are men. And in the younger groups, they're more likely to be equally men and women taking on that care role. And then I think the other thing is just like the United States is becoming more diverse, more colorful and having um, families of different racial and ethnic backgrounds, we see that in caregiving, that you've got a lot of different um, racial ethnic representation. You have people who identify as LGBTQ. And so it's really is a diverse experience, even though we sort of have in our mind, you know, this is what a caregiver looks like. And I wonder how that will change in the future. You know, I, it's interesting to me, Grace, that that average caregiver went from, you know, 40-year-old woman to the 46-year-old woman to the late 40s to 50s. That tells me that she is continuing to care throughout these decades, you know, it ends up being. Do we know what the future looks like for caregivers? Well, I, yes and no. I mean, I, I wish I did have a sort of a crystal ball and I think there's so many things that could change. But in general, I would say what you're talking about, we do see more people taking on additional care responsibilities. That was something that really stood out in this report is compared to five years ago when we last did it, people were more likely to be caring for multiple people and they were more likely to be caring for longer. And I think those two trends do speak to that, that family sizes are shrinking. I think the good thing is, I, I like to think of this as the golden girls model. I think you'll see more where people say, let's all move in together with my friends and take care of each other. And there's a lot of advantages to that, particularly, you know, when you look at generations where they're independent, they don't want their kids helicoptering them. You know, the idea that you could live with your friends and take care of each other, I think, has a lot of promise and um, has really picked up a lot of steam. This is Grace Whiting, the National Alliance for Caregiving. There used to be a thought that if you're a husband and you have a wife that is is going through breast cancer, that 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 he really isn't a caregiver. He's a husband, um, and that's part of his role is caring. So, how do you define caregiver? So, if we're talking about research, caregiver, we usually define it by activity. You know, you're taking on certain number of hours a week doing activities of care, whether that's things like helping someone get dressed or bathe or go to the bathroom, or even those sort of care coordination activities like managing finances. Um, but you raise a really good point because I think a lot of people don't want to self-identify as caregivers. And one of the things we've been questioning is whether it's really a kind thing to really push people to do that or whether the pathways that people have to navigate should invite them in. And the reason I say that is there's, we know from research that there's a psychological impact to saying, I'm now caring for my spouse, for example. It changes the way that you view that relationship. Mm. Um, it adds additional stress to the caregiver. <clears throat> so I think, you know, it's good when people can feel comfortable in taking on that identity, but just like other identities we might have in our life, I think, the, the onus is really on the healthcare provider, the insurance company, the employer to recognize that caregiving is going on and to offer accommodations or to offer a way in um, rather than sort of, you know, requiring people to raise their hand, which they may never do. That is an, an interesting point because it's a mindset change, right? I mean, we hear people say, I'm not a, I'm not a caregiver. I'm a son. But 
you are a caregiver and, but, but you're right. Then how does that open a door for services? I'll be really interested to see what y'all come up with and kind of push out to people because it does change how we then bring people into our services. Um, on a national level, what kind of resources do you feel are, are the best available to caregivers? The elder care locator is an excellent resource because it helps you find county specific information and connect into the national family caregiver support program. I also love uh, the VA caregiver support program mm. if you're caring for a veteran. And there's new legislation that expanded that program to veterans of all eras. So um, not just folks caring for 9-11, uh, wounded warriors, but also people who maybe had combat injuries from previous conflicts. Um, and the other thing I would say is, you know, don't underestimate the power of some of the patient advocacy groups. If you're caring for someone with dementia, look at groups like the Alzheimer's Association or the Alzheimer's Foundation of America. Likewise, in cancer, uh, mental illness, rare disease, you name it. There's a lot of wonderful organizations out there that have helped for families. Yeah. And where can people find that report card that we talked about? So um, you can get the big report on caregiving in the U.S. at caregiving.org. And I would also encourage you to go to our, our colleagues' website, aarp.org backslash caregiving, to find more resources, including how to navigate during the pandemic. Yeah, I feel like we need to make a public vow right now, Terry, that we will help being a part of getting Indiana higher on that yeah. card. That would be great. That would be terrific. So, um, yeah. okay. And again, the website, Grace, where people can find you and can find the National Alliance for Caregiving? It's caregiving.org. I feel like we can remember that one, caregiving.org. <laughs> um, caregiving. We're so so grateful for the work that you're doing, the public policy work. We didn't even touch on that, but goodness, you are really leading efforts with this organization and with our nation. And um, just congratulations to you. And thank you for all of us who are caregivers and who, who love caregivers. Thank you. And thank you guys for being such great voices for the community. I, I appreciate the chance to come and chat with you. Yeah, we will look forward to talking with you again. Um, and we'll be back here on Caregiver Crossing next week. So until then, take good care of each other.